Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 39, The Fall of Football Dynasties. Before I get into the meat of the episode that I want to really get into, which is just about the title races in the top leagues in Europe and how exciting that is, I'm just going to get a little bit into what some, just a few of the quick hits that happened this weekend because, again, it was chock full of interesting things. Sad, good, happy, all over the place, controversial, whatever. I'm going to start with first Lewis Dunk and the free kick fiasco that happened between Brighton and West Bromwich Albion. For for any of you who have seen the replays of this or or looked into it, it's a total mess. It's Lee Mason making an absolute mockery of himself, blowing a whistle to allow a free kick, and then before the ball goes in, blowing it again because, I don't know, he thinks it maybe is unfair, awards the goal, then has to ask VAR to bail him out because he doesn't really know, and they're like, "Uh, I think you blew the whistle twice, which I don't know why you did that, but according to the rules, you kind of have to chalk off the goal. Totally insane. Look, Brighton should have won this game. They missed two penalties and now look in trouble. Although Brighton are a team, I cannot see how they're going to get relegated. They actually play too well in every game. It's not just that they have good players. It's that they play too well in every game to possibly end up in that position at the end of the, at the, end of the season for me. But who knows? Another refereeing incident, the Callum Hudson-Odoi uh fingerball handball thing that happened right next to Mason Greenwood optical illusion this one because when I saw it happen I couldn't even really tell that it hit a hand I thought it maybe hit the top of a shoulder of one of them I couldn't tell which one and then four Chelsea players put their arms up asking for a handball strange no man united players do and then it turns into a whole debacle right referee goes checks Callum Hudson Doy standing behind him while he's looking at the monitor, just like screaming, like, what are you getting? I don't know what he was saying, but probably like, that's not a handball. Then there's the whole issue with Luke Shaw saying that he heard the referee tell Harry Maguire that he couldn't give the penalty because or else it, you know, caused too much of a stir. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer comes out and doubles up on that, which is even weirder. And then Harry Maguire comes out and says, wait, hold on. Luke Shaw didn't actually hear that correctly. Total mess. Now, look, we can criticize anything we want. I think also Man United were saying that the Chelsea website had uh, things posted saying, look out for Harry Maguire. Look, that was all because of the time where Maguire had his arms wrapped around Cesar Aspilicueta's shoulders, doing a full-on headlock uh, in the penalty area, and there was no penalty kick, right? I think that's kind of where that came from, some of that site banter or whatever but the fact that Oli brought it up after the game also weird just a strange set of stories the thing about this one too that I want to I want to just drop this little idea I've got friends who are not really football people they, they watch it every now and again and they don't like how penalties can be awarded in situations like that one for instance where the ball is going away It's basically almost outside of the penalty area. The players are not facing the goal. They're facing the sideline. It barely nicks off a guy's fingers. No one has actual possession of the ball. And that can result in Man United getting a free shot from 12 yards out, almost certain goal, against a goalkeeper who now, with the rules having been even extra tightened on them, the possibilities that they're going to save it are even lower than they ever were. So friends of mine have always said that that makes no sense. Why do they get the free shot? And, you know, 
I don't know. I think that's a good that's a good point. I think the penalty area is great as a size and design for an area where goalkeepers can use their hands. I think that's really good. But I, I take the point that these people have that if you're at the corner of the penalty area and you're not even facing the goal and you get nicked, how on earth should that translate into you being rewarded with a, almost a certain goal? So here's my weird idea, revolutionary idea for how to change this in football. But you keep the lines of the penalty area. But you add a sort of elliptical, like a circular um, semicircle line that go, basically goes from the points of the penalty area that intersect with the goal line, and you bring them up to about the penalty spot, or maybe a yard or two outside the penalty spot. Just an arc. And if you're in that arc and you're fouled, penalty. If you're outside of that arc and you're fouled, who knows? Let's do direct free kick from inside the box. That'd be a total, you know... That'd be a chaotic situation. But the reality is so many times that players get penalties, they're not imminently shooting. They're not imminently even creating an opportunity to shoot. Yet they can be given such an easy chance to score. Look, I know this is one of those ones that you're talking about really changing some stuff in football. And for traditionalists and purists, I know that's scary. In a lot of ways, I am one too. But maybe, just maybe, that's an idea that would work. I don't know. Think about it. All right. Uh, interesting. Moving on to some more outside, off the field topics here. Barcelona. This is a bad situation. Joseph Bartomeu gets arrested, spends a night in jail, and uh, basically all for financial improprieties and issues that are going on at Barcelona with their finances. Big surprise, right? Shocker. Here's the problem for Barcelona they're already in what we know is a financial meltdown, right? They're already in a big situation that that's not looking bright at all. On top of that, Leo Messi most likely looks like he's going to leave. The way he's having to carry this team this season and the fact that they have no money means how on earth are you going to rebuild a team capable of winning the Champions League before he's 37? So he's probably going to go. Okay, that helps their wage bill, but what if this little incident ends up coming with sanctions? What if Barcelona have to not be in the Champions League for two years? What if uh, they have to pay enormous fines? What if they get relegated or something like that? How long will it be until we see Barcelona back to where they are? I mean, this summer could really be the absolute end of an era. I'm not putting my bets on it. I don't know how this is going to pan out, but it's certainly a situation to keep an eye on. LeBron James. And Zlatan taking shots at each other over whether or not athletes should speak in politics and about politics. I thought this was fascinating. I'm not going to lie. I love me some Zlatan, but I think he wandered into the wrong arena here. And I say that just because you can't you can't get LeBron James on this one. You're not going to you're not going to catch him out. He's way, way, way too informed. He's already doing all the work. And his response to Zlatan, who basically said sport, sporting figures and athletes should stay out of politics, it's not a good look. LeBron came out and said, like, dude, I'm, I'm doing what I know, what I live. Like, he's, he's he created his school. And LeBron does a lot of amazing things. But the truth is, I can't possibly see Zlatan continuing this debate and ending up looking good at all. Sooner than later, he's going to have to just say agree to disagree or praise LeBron for the work he does or whatever, or he's 
he's going to end up a little bit embarrassed because I do think LeBron's got his bases covered here. He even mentioned that he does his homework and that he knows Zlatan's story about being an Ibrahimovic in Sweden, where Zlatan said, if I was an Anderson or a Larson, things might have been a little bit easy for me in my youth and I wouldn't have been cast aside as often as I was. Which, look, when he was growing up, I can tell you right now, I don't remember there being anything but an Anderson Larson, you know, that kind of thing in the uh, the team. Uh, they had a really amazing black player in the 94 World Cup, um, Dalin. But, you know, aside from him, you know, Ibrahimovic, this is the weirdest name to have ever ended up on a Swedish national team jersey. And, you know, he talked about what he dealt with there and, and some of the prejudice he had to deal with in that sense. And LeBron mentioned that. So clearly did his homework. Keep an eye on that one. Might be interesting. Hopefully, it doesn't erupt into embarrassment for Zlatan. I would just, I would just hate to see that. And on a little bit of a sad note, look, Allison Becker, um, Liverpool goalkeeper, his father passed away last week. Died tragically in what they think is a drowning accident. That he went out for a swim in his lake and didn't come back. And his body was later recovered. So really sad situation. Allison and his brother, you know, both obviously, he, he both goalkeepers. His brother plays in Brazil. They're both doing the whole funeral thing, spending time with the family. Curtis Jones, really good dedication when he scored a goal this weekend. So rest in peace to Jose Becker and uh, thoughts for Allison and um, and his family and the whole family. So really sad situation. Hope they can get out of it okay. All right, on to the meat of the episode. Like I said, this is the fall of the football dynasties. Well, it might be. The season's not over, so I can't actually fully hedge my bets on. Some of these are pretty much done and dusted. Some were pretty much just going to have to still sit and hope for quite a while. But this weekend, RB Leipzig, Monaco, AC Milan, Barcelona, they all got results to keep things in check in their leagues, to keep the races hot, to keep things exciting. And the reality is dynasties right now are at huge, huge risk. You can look across the major leagues and what have been long win streaks or dominant periods of time for either one or two different clubs, these situations are really at peril. Now, like I said, the status quo might just revert before the season's over. Or if we have a surprise, it might revert again right back next season. We don't know. We'll take a look. Enjoy it while it's happening, that's for sure. And keep an eye out because some of these are big stories. And it's kind of like the Leicester story. If you just were asleep that whole year and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what? There's a team that was 5,001 that won the title? I wish I had been a part of that. I wish I had been watching. So there's good stuff happening. Keep an eye out, people, because there is a chance. I don't know how it's going to last, but we also have to think about this. The post-COVID era is going to be different. The football landscape is going to be different. How you can just go and and buy players. I think a lot of teams are going to be in financial constraints for the next three to five years. And it might be more difficult for the behemoth clubs to dominate the way they have been. We'll see. But basically I'm going to give you a little rundown of some of the stories that are going on, some of the points and that are point totals in some of the tables across Europe and some of these stories of where a dynasty may be on the way down. All right. First off the Bundesliga. This is the one I start with this one because it is Probably the least likely scenario to happen. I mean, we're talking about Bayern Munich still actually top of the table. Only two points clear of RB Leipzig. They've all played 23 matches in in Germany. They'll finish with 34, so still 11 matches to play. Bayern still with a lead. I know that RB Leipzig play first this weekend and could be top, 
by the by the end of their match, but they could also be again two points behind at the end of the weekend, or they could be five points behind at the end of the weekend, or a point clear. So we'll see. Every week in Germany, there's something there. There's a possibility, but Bayern Munich are still an extremely strong team. They had a wobble. Lazio gave them a free boost in the Champions League by pretty much not showing up. And we'll see. I mean, I don't think this is likely, but RB Leipzig have been good. There are a lot of teams in Germany that can dice with Bayern on the day and 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 help them and push them to to try to win, keep them from drop points. I mean, Bayern, you have to understand, there was a period of time this season where I think they went nine or ten straight games where they went behind in every game and won them all. You can't do that forever. At some point, you're going to start losing those. So we'll see what happens, especially as the Champions League heats up. You know Bayern are going to be really, really focused on that. But Leipzig have a chance. Again, I don't think this one's likely. We'll see. Moving on to Serie A. Look, this is exciting. Juve have been extremely dominant, right? Nine straight titles. They're going for number 10. They are not out of the race. Juve did win today, so... All on 24 matches, the top four teams. Inter have 56 points. Milan have 52. Juve, 49. And then it gets really interesting. You have Atalanta with 46. Roma with 44. Napoli and Lazio with 43. So the race for the top four is going to be absolutely boiling, sizzling until the end of the season. The race for the title, it's either between two and three. I think that Milan are going to be able to stay somewhere in the vicinity of Inter, I think that Juve can also stick around and stay in the race and just keep Inter on their toes. But the way I've been watching Juve play this season, they really are in a transition year. And it doesn't look like they're going to be able to be perfect enough to be an Inter machine that's just getting more and more and more confident and only has the league to worry about. So I do think the one of the Milan clubs are going to be able to come in and break this dynasty, stop Juve from winning a 10th consecutive title, and, yeah, reestablishing Serie A as a league that's actually interesting to watch again and not considered a farmer's league, which I cannot believe Serie A became a farmer's league for a while. Unbelievable. So there's a similar streak that's about, that's about to be broken, and this one is a sure, dead cert thing. This is probably this is the only one of all of these that's almost already finished, done mathematically in the bank, and it's the Scottish Premiership. Rangers are absolutely flying. I mean, what they're they're 15 points ahead of uh, Celtic with uh, just eight games to go. So they only need two victories and it's done. Uh, if they get a win and Celtic lose their next game, it's done. So it is right there. Celtic have won nine in a row. I did an episode a few weeks back on the Scottish Premiership and how exciting it is that Rangers are back in the mix and how the old firm is so... So great of a rivalry, but it only matters if both teams are good. They need each other. You can't just have one dominating for 10 years because or else no one cares. And I think that what's going on, Steven Gerrard has got this Rangers team to do really well in the Europa League. They're still alive and they're playing exciting football. Their tie against Antwerp was completely nuts. It was a 9-5 aggregate scoreline in the finish. And look, Celtic, they've just imploded this season. They haven't been good enough. Uh, their manager, Neil Lennon, just resigned a few days ago. Rangers have their time. This title's pretty much entirely sewn up. So there's a giant streak broken. That's one dynasty already finished, slain, and we'll see what happens next year. Bayern Munich, like I said, they've got eight titles in a row, but there's another club that has been dominating their league in a similar way, and that's PSG. 
Now, PSG don't have this long, long streak going on. As a matter of fact, it's pretty short. They they won four titles between 2012 and 2015, right? They, they, 20, uh, they got four in a row. And then Monaco came in and broke the streak. That Kylian Mbappe-Monaco side. Won a title. PSG have won the last three straight. So they have won seven of the last eight years. That's a lot of domination. And I think a lot of people's perception is PSG is the only big club in France. They're the only good club in France. They're historically the only one. Let me just explain something to you for people who don't realize this. Before PSG won that first title under this, you know, extremely wealthy era that they are in, they had only won two in their previous entire history. Many, many, many clubs have a richer history of titles than PSG, even still today. This is all that this all came from an enormous, enormous cash investment back in the early part of the 2010s, back in 2010, 2011. I remember Javier Pastore being signed from Palermo for huge money and being like, wow, PSG are really serious. And then more and more. I remember Lucas Mora coming in and, and then it was Cavani and then it was Zlatan. I mean, they really have dominated for a long, long time. But now that they're where they are, what's the ceiling? Right, They can only put together so many good players. They can only fire coaches so many times for not winning the Champions League. And they can only win the French League so often before other teams start to catch up a little bit. And that's what's happening. Lille are top of the table on 59 points. PSG have 57. Lyon have 56. Monaco have 55. And these are good teams. Lyon and Monaco are really strong. They've got very, very good squads. Monaco are able to bring a guy like Steven Jovetic and even Cesc Fabregas off the bench on a weekly basis if they want to. Lille have an incredibly exciting young team. Lyon, a good team in big games, a very solid team in France. The problem is only Monaco has players who tasted a title success recently at all. Most of the other ones, it's totally green territory. So obviously PSG have they have to be the favorites still. But they're about to knock out Barcelona and we know that the Champions League is their number one target. Are they going to be perfect for the rest of the season in France cuz they just might need to be. Lille and Lyon and Monaco are outplaying almost every team they play and still actually having to play good games to do it. This goes to show you PSG have been dropping points against weak opposition all season as well. So This league's nowhere near done. For anyone who thinks that PSG are just going to run away with it, I don't think that's going to happen. I do think it'll go to the last two or three games, if not to the final day. And the final league that I think... Actually, sorry, not the final league. I have to to touch on La Liga before I get to the the, the last one, the story that I think is the most interesting. La Liga's... It's not fascinating. I mean, Atletico Atletico Madrid are top of the table, and they've won a title in the not-so-distant past. They won in 2013-2014, but since then, the last six years, Barcelona, Real Madrid, that's it. And also in seasons where neither of those two teams have actually been that great. So it'd be nice to see Atleti do it, to break the streak, to, to get a title. The problem is Atleti are not a team that like being favorites. They don't. They're much better at being the underdog and punching up. Can they be flat-track bullies for the rest of the season and just knock everyone out of their way and just hope that Barcelona and Real stumble a few more times? I think that can happen. We'll see We'll see how they do. If they get knocked out of the Champions League by Chelsea this week, I really do think that Simeone will just completely zero his team in on one game after another, 
arrive at the mid-30s match day mark of the season. And if you're still six, seven points ahead by then, then you can just shut the door. And I think that's what they're going to do. So Atleti, I really do think, have a great chance of winning the title and snapping a little streak. But the big streak that I'm most excited about to see end here. And this is a story that probably not very many people have been looking into. But in the Portuguese Primeira Liga. For those of you who know anything about the Portuguese League, you know that Porto and Benfica are the two big, strong institution clubs. Well, since 2001-2002, those two teams have won every single one of the titles. No one else. The last team to win a title outside of those two was Sporting Lisbon. Now, this is where Cristiano Ronaldo came from. Actually, he was still in he was in the youth team, I believe, when they were uh when they were coming up, when they when they won that title. Well, they are currently nine points clear of Braga, who's in second place, ten points clear of Porto, thirteen points clear of Benfica and it's looking really good. They are flying, and if Sporting win, they will win their first title in 18 years and break a dynasty duo that's been happening for this whole time. Now, those are the leagues I wanted to mention. Those are the dynasties I think have the potential to fall if they pretty much haven't already or, or are not inevitable. And I just want to put this into a mathematical context for you because it is pretty interesting. If you take Juve and Celtic, right, each with nine, you get to 18. Porto and Benfica, their dominance of 18 years, so that's 36. Bayern, eight. You add another, add, the, add those eight, that gets you to 44. Barcelona and Real Madrid combined for six, that gets you to 50. PSG, seven of the last eight years, they've won titles. We're talking about 47 years, or sorry, 57 years, 57 years worth of titles gobbled up by eight clubs. That's it. So this is an exciting time. Hopefully a lot of this gets dashed and smashed. And like I said, the post-COVID era, who knows what's going to happen? I do foresee Bayern being just as strong as they've always been. The way they organize themselves in staying top of the Bundesliga, I don't think that's going to change. But the resurgence of Serie A, more teams starting to come up in La Liga and this troubles that the financial troubles Barcelona are having, the rebuilding issues that Real Madrid may have. PSG needing, needing to win the Champions League and watching the league around them just get stronger and stronger. And Rangers finally just getting on equal footing with Celtic again. I think this is a really exciting time for football. For any of us that are just watching the Premier League and saying, oh gosh, Man City run away with it. There's nothing interesting to see anymore. No, there's plenty. There are dynasties that are on the way down. Let's hope it actually happens. It'd be really fun to see all of these pan out. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, you, you know, I, it, it, like I said, football is drunk. I said that a while ago because Marie, a quote I jacked from Mourinho. But the reality is we are in a really interesting time. And when I look at all these leagues across Europe, it's been a, it's been like a, easily a decade since I've seen so many interesting races. It's not just that these teams who won these titles for this long period of time were challenged very often. Frequently, they ran away with it. And right now, not only are they not running away with titles, they're either being shoved off their perch or pushed to the bitter end. So let's see what happens. This is Campfire Football. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great night, everybody.